everything was wrong from the start. It seemed impossible to overcome them. No allies, clumsy undercover intelligence, biased information, dodgy logistics. Design and production staff working from different locations. Communications not a tool, but a challenge. But the battle had to be waged, and the war had to be won. The only fighters left standing were amateur fanfare musicians. Their instruments had been damaged or stolen. The drummer had to play a guitar with three strings. The marimba had five keys missing. The tuba player said the only way to succeed was to embrace the new reality through an imaginative audio lens. He instructed the band members to play in the most unearthly way. A one, a two, a one, three, seven, twelve. They blew the aliens away. listening to the Muffy Drake Show podcast. But then, you already knew that. If you're just joining us, and you are a first-time listener, there's so much to tell you to catch up to at this point. Actually, uh, there's very little to tell you. Each episode of Muffy Drake is sort of a kaleidoscope of colorful characters and stories, mostly unrelated to each other, and and I'm, I'm your guest host, Bobo. There, now you're all caught up. But just in case you've never experienced the big MD, let me give you the sort of Whitman sampler of Muffy Drake. It's as if you walk into a bar, your favorite bar, and walk past each table, stopping to linger and listen in on the conversation of those seated who appear to be very animated while they talk. You are somewhat perplexed at what you are hearing and want to hear more. So you position yourself within earshot and, and pretend to text your Aunt Dot, who at that very moment is hiding her cats in the attic, again away from the authorities who have been called to check things out. Aunt Dot has answered the door and only cracks it open just a smidge to talk to them through the opening 
about the complaints. She explains to the authorities that she doesn't, in fact, have nine cats living with her, and, and, and the neighbors are simply, simply hearing things as she's working on a symphony that's been playing in her head for years. She cracks the door further open to reveal a living room it's filled with what appears to be a makeshift recording studio with, with padded walls and instruments. The three workers from Animal Control are not convinced. They believe she is hiding her cats from them, and the symphony composition ruse is a pathetic attempt by an old cat lady to save her beloved pets. Fearing the further investigation of the matter and confident she can win them over and convince them she's not hiding her cats in the attic. And Dot begins to play. wife and I both teach at MIT. She's a senior researcher and a professor of molecular biology. Her specialty is the selection of DNA strands for the purposes of identification of microorganisms on microchips. This breakthrough technology can be useful to point up bacteria or viruses in water samples or for other applications as well such as, um, say, uh, the detection of uh, parasites in uh, samples of root beer. Okay, okay. Tell you the truth, that's about as far as I can go with my understanding of what she does. You see, I'm an adjunct professor of comparative sociolinguistics. I recently developed a new course on the relations between the climate and people's linguistic practices. In other words, 
how where you live shapes what you think and what you say, or why people who speak a certain language live where they live. For instance, why some people won't move to Indiana because they're afraid they won't blend in with the Hoosiers and they'll never understand what cattywampus means and why broad ripple is pronounced brawribble. Anyway, that's just an example. My particular area of expertise is Finno-Ugric languages. In case you're wondering, Finno-Ugric languages break down into several divisions. The Ugric division is composed of Hungarian and the Ob-Ugric languages Mansi and Kanti. The Finnic division of Finno-Ugric languages is composed of five groups. The Baltic Finnic group, the Permic group, and, quite oddly, the three remaining groups are the individual languages Mari, Mordvin, and Sami. My real specialty is Sami, in which there are several dialects. But listen to me, I could ramble on for hours about Karelian, Ludic, Veps, Ingrian, Votic, and Livonian. Sami is the language I find most interesting because it's spoken by a people that lives in four countries. Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. The cultural backgrounds of which are different, but which share the same kind of wildlife and the same kind of climate. But as Arlo Guthrie says when he's 10 or 15 minutes into Alice's restaurant, that's not what I came to talk about. I intended to tell you about my wife and our son. My wife and I love our son, and we love each other. I'll never forget how we met. My wife and I met at the faculty gym. She walked up to me with a broad smile and said she was impressed by my style when I was on the bench where I pump iron. My reply was, Rudvergomen a situ la navi frisklartun, which is a famous saying in Mordvin. Loosely translated, it means real heavyweight lifters impress the tree trunk before throwing it a long distance in the snow across the forest, and it's pointless to lift anything if the only purpose is to build muscles to try to have your way with women. Yes, Mordvin is a compact language. Rud vergomen a situ la navi frisklartun. Commit this to memory. It may very well come up in a crossword puzzle. And it's a pretty good pickup line, too. Except if you're in a tavern somewhere up north on the border of Finland and Russia, where the odds are you'll make an ass of yourself if you say that to any woman. Chances are she'll punch you in the nose and or hit you over the head with reindeer antlers. Anyway, my wife and I are worried about our son because somehow, well, somehow, 
we have the feeling he's not a happy child. As I said, my wife and I love our son, and we love each other, but we're not sure he loves us. When he was born, my wife and I were so excited. We knew we would give him all our love, which we do, but most of the time, he looks at us as though he was resentful. He's only two years old, but his eyes are like the eyes of an adult who has a grudge against you. As Edgar Allan Poe says, when he's halfway into Alice's restaurant, I, I mean, halfway into the Raven, his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. I'm not suggesting he's a demon, no, but it's as though he was born into the wrong family. I know what you're thinking, but no, no mistakes were made at the maternity ward. They didn't mix the babies up as they often do. Of course they often do. I mean, you should see my allegedly biological parents. My mother is very bright and my father is really handsome. No, seriously, he's definitely our boy, no doubt about that. So I guess it's an oddity, a genetic oddity. My wife is trying to figure out a genetic explanation, and I spend every single day trying to make sense of what he says. It's really distressing to raise a child who resents you and whom you don't understand. Me amo Diego. Mi papá y mi mamá no entienden nada. Son ignorantes. Lo peor es el arte. Son nulos. Para la Navidad he pedido un glockenspiel. Ay, la vida no va a ser fácil. been listening to the Muffy Drake Podcast, written and narrated by Xavier Cohn. Executive producer, Jim Hall. Muffy Drake is based out of Paris, where we will take a rare bottle of French wine and we will pair it with a block of American Velveeta cheese. And we do all of this with the hopes that by these efforts rendered faithfully over a period of years, we will uh, somehow, um, Muffy Drake will, (laughs) if I can be frank with you, I got nothing after that. Until next time, au revoir, amigos, Paul Bell. Play us out of here, brother.